freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 289 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Nulled to Sleep, and our guest is Michael Meharry. Michael serves as a National Communications Director for the 10th Amendment Center, which is the nation's leading source for constitutional education and state uh, nullification of unconstitutional acts activism. Mm -hmm. While the establishment left and right continue to expand federal power, Michael's organization's goal is straightforward. Follow the Constitution. Every issue, every time, no exception and no excuses. Absolutely. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And, and uh, thanks for that. That uh, What you just read, that's that's the 10th Amendment Center in, the nut, in a nutshell right there. Follow the Constitution, every issue, every time, no exceptions, no excuses. I think what? that's a pretty noble, uh, pretty noble goal, right? Right. It is. And why is that so <clears throat> hard? I mean, it's <laughs> I don't know. this thing. Look, it's super skinny. It's super tiny. It's not complicated. Why yeah. is it so hard? Because they well, like to use the word but. Yes. Go ahead, that, Michael. That's exactly why it's so hard, because I think people have a tendency to want to utilize power when they get their hands on it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think all government power has the uh, natural tendency to expand. And that's exactly why the founding generation wanted to put written limits on it. You know, they came out of a system in the uh, British colonies where the, the British constitution was effectively unwritten. And so it was kind of a living, breathing constitution and the founding generation, like this isn't working, you know, the government can't change the rules in the middle of the game and us have any kind of stability. And so, you know, they rejected that and went to a written constitution figuring, Hey, if we write down the specific, you know, powers of government, then we'll be good to go. And unfortunately it hasn't worked out that way because, you know, no matter who's in power, while they're in power, they want to expand their power. And then when they're out of power, they get angry because the, the, you know, the bad guys now have the power. So the only solution is to quit expanding the power. Oh, amen to that. But how do they get away with it, Michael? I mean, the politicians, you know, they swear on the oath and then they, then they don't. Well, I think, I think there's a, a number of things that play into that. In the first place, we let them. You know, and, and again, I think we get caught up in partisan politics. And again, when, you know, a person that we favor is in office and they run over the, uh, the limits on federal power, sometimes it's things that we want them to do. You know, it's, it's policies that we like and we forget that this power is going to be handed off at some point to somebody that we don't like. 
and you know policies come and go, power expansion seems to never shrink. And then the other aspect of it, <clears throat> I think, is just a structural um, problem, where we all focus so much on the federal government. <clears throat> the states were intended to be a. Uh, excuse me, I'm having allergy issues as we just Us talked too. about. Us too. <laughs> so, no worries. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the states were intended to be a check on federal power and, and the states have kind of laid down on that role over the last, uh, you know, decades. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that play into it. The good news is, is that we have the ability and the power at our fingertips to roll back some of this federal overreach. And that's exactly what we're working to do at the 10th Amendment Center. That's nice. I, I really appreciate you guys' work for doing that. Well, absolutely. <clears throat> and I think my fear and concern, especially as we're seeing so many things change so quickly over the past year, we're giving up so many rights uh, because we're afraid of germs. You know, we've been, mm. you know, just inundated with fear messages. And so we, we are, as you said, just kind of like, well, yeah, if it's, pro if it's for our better good, then go ahead, government at whatever level, right? City, state, federal, go ahead and just trample all over the, the constitution. At some point, it, we're gonna go too far and not have the, it, the power of the governed, right? That we right. have the power. How close to that line do you think we are? I, I, I hate to even speculate, but you know we get closer every day. There's an economist named Robert Higgs who wrote a book called Crisis in Leviathan, and he coined this term called ratchet effect to describe the way governments at every level take advantage of emergencies and expand their power. So they ratchet up power. And then when the emergency passes, <clears throat> some of that power will, will come back down, but it never goes back down to the level that it was originally. So you have this kind of up, 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 down a little bit, up, 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 down a little bit. But the, the overall uh, trajectory is upward. And we're definitely seeing that, uh, you know, we, we've seen it over and over again with the, uh, with the erosion of the Second Amendment every time that there's a mass shooting, which amazingly have disappeared yeah. <laughs> last year. But, uh, you Interesting know, every time- Interesting part of COVID, right? Yes. But, uh, you know, every time that that happens, we see uh, a, a move to push for, for further gun control. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the government mandates at every level that we've seen coming through with COVID-19. I'm certain that there will be certain government powers that will never go away. We saw it after 9-11 with the expansion of the surveillance state uh, as uh, you know, people were fearful of terrorism. So uh, I think Higgs hit the nail on the head with this ratchet effect. And uh, you know, the only way we're going to ratchet back down again, I think, is working at the state level to do things that undermine uh, this, this federal power and federal overreach. And we're starting, not starting to, we've, we've been seeing this really over the last four or five years really increase. <clears throat> and I think the, uh, the interest uh, is particularly on the right now with Biden in office uh, is, is strong. We're seeing a lot of bills <clears throat> introduced this year to stop enforcement of federal gun control at the state level and, and to uh, do various other actions that uh, will hopefully head off some of the things that might be coming down the pike. Michael, when we uh, remember when we had the gas shortage and the speed limit was 55. I do. And some uh, states said, no, we're not going to follow that rule. And so they just cut funding to those states. W aren't we afraid of that happening again? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I, you know, quite frankly, I think that that fear is overplayed a bit. Uh, when you actually look at the way the law has evolved over the last several decades, and now it is true that uh, th that the feds use the the threat of highway funding, but there are pretty strong limits on what the federal government can do in terms of um, taking away funding. So let me kind of just I'll flesh this out a little bit and give you some specific examples. Uh, the federal government, first off, cannot use funding in a way that is quote unquote coercive. And this was really solidified in the Obamacare case, uh, Sibelius, uh, which overall was an awful Supreme Court decision, but there was buried in that uh, case a little gem. And uh, in, that, in that bill, one of the ways that they intended to get states to expand Medicaid, which was part of this overall Obamacare program, uh, was if they didn't expand their Medicaid, they were going to lose existing Medicaid funding. And the Supreme Court actually held, no, you can't do that. That would be a, a coercive use of funding uh, in order to force the state to utilize its uh, resources. And so this is part of, of an overall uh, legal doctrine known as the anti-commandeering doctrine, which is actually very important for those of us who want to limit federal power because the courts have consistently held since 1842 that the federal government cannot uh, force states to utilize their resources or their personnel to implement a federal program or enforce a federal law. Uh, in essence, the, the resources of the state belong to the state and the federal government cannot commandeer them. So this is a powerful tool that state and local governments have, and funding is part of that. Now, there are certain funding levers that the federal government has. Uh, in the first place, funding has to be related to the thing that is not being done. So, uh, you know, in the case of the highway funding, that was the only thing that they could have taken away was highway funding. They couldn't take away education funding because the state didn't uh, wouldn't raise its speed limit. Same thing with, say, the enforcement of federal gun control. If the uh, if a state decides we're not going to do this any longer, the feds could take away funding that's related to some law enforcement programs, but they couldn't take away highway funding, for instance. So there is some pretty strong limits on what the federal government can do. Uh, in terms of taking away funding and what funding they can take, I think, you know, at some point we have to stand up and say, we're not going to sell out the Constitution any longer. Uh, and that's effectively what state and local politicians are doing when they say, oh, well, we can't do this because we need this federal money. You're selling out the Constitution. You're selling out your oath uh, that you swore to protect and defend it. Um, and, and, and of course, that's uh, that's not a wise thing. But again, I think in some ways it's overplayed. I, you know, specifically, we saw this uh, during the, uh, the Trump years as he over and over again tried to figure out a way to defund sanctuary cities that weren't enforcing federal immigration law, and he couldn't do it. Uh, there was just a very limited amount of funding that they could touch. They couldn't take away all of a city's funding as, as they would have liked to have done. So, uh, you know, it is certainly a concern. It's a concern that I think that uh, state politicians should at some point grow a backbone and step up and, and quit, you know, dancing after the federal carrot. But that federal carrot is much smaller than some people might imagine. No, absolutely. And just as you said a few minutes ago, uh, if people are like, yes, go whoever, in this case, it was Trump, go Trump because we voted for Trump and we like Trump, defund 
these cities uh, for something we don't like. So the, the immigration, but then those of us that are sort of like, yay for sanctuary cities for the second amendment, right. right now that we have somebody else in office, who's not second amendment friendly. Well, now that same tool can be used against us. And that's the thing that just drives me a little bit crazy is that we, we kind of, you know, live with this cognitive dissonance that it's only ever going to be used for good, right? you know, and I think we should always look at the possible worst case scenario. Right. And, and that is exactly right. Well, I think well, that's good news. I, I really appreciate you telling us that because, you know, they're talking about this protect our uh, second amendment in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to myself and thinking, well, if they do that, we're just going to lose all our funding. So it's good to know that. I appreciate you yeah, telling there's me. There's just a small yeah. amount, but what were you going to say, Michael? No, I was just going to say that, you know, that's the important thing. I think that I, I really want to encourage people to really sit back and think deeply about is uh, to be true to our principles and not true to a politician. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, uh, the concept of, of limited government, of limiting federal power is important no matter who is in office. And we should hold to that principle and hold every person that is ever in the White House or in Congress to that standard. Um, and to me, decentralization is always better than, than centralization if you care about liber liberty. To me, the biggest threat to our freedom is centralizing power in a monopoly government. And so I always resist that. That's the principle that I stand on. Unfortunately, again, we get caught up in these, these left-right politics and um, you know, everybody does it. It's, it's not exclusive to any party or political doctrine. Uh, but we, we just have to really hold, I think it's important, more important to hold our guys to the fire than it is to even hold, we're, we're good at resisting the Democrats sometimes, you know, as, as Republicans, I'm not a Republican specifically, but uh, I'm nonpartisan. But if I was a Republican, I think it's more important to hold a Republican's feet to the fire than it is even the Democrats. Uh, and that was a disappointment to me when we saw Donald Trump you know, actually ramping up enforcement of current federal gun control, doing the bump stock ban through executive order. I wish there had been more uh, friendly fire from that to, to let him know, hey, this is not acceptable. This is diverging from our principles. Mm -hmm. and, and too many people were silent because they didn't want to undermine you know, their guy being in office. Boy, that's definitely the case. And, you know, that one particular issue, uh, you know, where the ATF, which is not an elected body, you know, acting as though, you know, they have that power and then all we can do is go along with it as citizens. And so they chose an item that most people were like, I don't we even don't know what a bump that. stock is. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's just a toy. It's just, right. a, we don't care. And it's like, okay, the thing you should care about is not that bump stock, you should care right. about what is happening, the precedent that is being set. Exactly. Uh, that again, somebody that's supposed to be a friendly to the Second Amendment is allowing. Can you imagine what's going to happen when right. we get somebody, which we have now, who's not friendly? It's, right. it's, it's mind boggling to me. And if, how if an administrative agency can ban a bump stock, then there's 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 no fundamental difference between that and banning a 
a high capacity magazine, whatever that is, right, you know, whatever more that than is. more than one, uh, or or a, an assault <laughs> rifle, whatever that is, whatever that is, yeah. yeah. Um, and and so it's that's you know that's the problem. It is, and that's the problem. Right, right, right exactly. It, it's whatever this agency says. It would take well, us five five hour show to even <sighs> skim the surface on the problems. It's so yeah. true. You know the ATF and you know their ruling, just being able to make a ruling. Mm-hmm. It it it's a violation of the constitution period absolutely well i would argue that the atf shouldn't exist <laughs> there's no there's no i don't disagree with you yeah, they, we are a, a gun shop owner a couple but uh i i don't disagree with you <laughs> where would we be if you know if there was no atf and and we you know if machine guns were still illegal that you know they just enforce it with a lo- local law enforcement and federal law enforcement but mm-hmm. not the atf mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be a lot less complicated life wouldn't it i think well, I'm sure it would be. And, and the fact of the matter is, if, it, if there wasn't this federal agency overseeing it, uh, I doubt machine guns would be illegal in every state. I mean, I'm certain there would be in some, but right. Uh, right. I, I could imagine some gun friendly state saying, you know what, we're going to we're going to allow people to have these because, yeah. you know, the, the thing people forget about is every state also, well, not every state, but virtually every state has uh, in their own state constitution, a bill of rights that includes uh, protections on the right to keep and bear arms as well. So, um, but you know, the the federal government couldn't enforce its bans and all of these laws if it wasn't for state and local law enforcement cooperating and enforcing it along their alongside of it. There aren't that many ATF agents. The truth of the matter is, um, I, I want to say there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,400 uh, actual. Uh, enforcement agency agents in the ATF. That's really not very many when you consider how big the United States is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just exactly what we've seen with trying to uh, to do uh, marijuana control. You mm-hmm. know, the federal government can't control marijuana in a state that, that says that we're going to have legal medical marijuana or legal recreational marijuana because the, the state and local government's no longer enforcing it and there aren't enough DEA agents out there to do it, do the job. So mm-hmm. I, that's what I really, you know, if I can leave something in people's heads to think about, we can take these strategies that have been considered kind of left wing, you know, and we can apply those to things that we want to push back against federal power. You can use this same model to stop federal gun control. If the state and local government stops enforcing it, the federal government's going to have a hard time doing it. Uh, You could do the same thing with environmental regulations, FDA regulations, uh, anything that the federal government tries to do. I guarantee you that your state and local government is involved in it as well. And when they just refuse to cooperate, it gets really difficult for the feds. And this is actually the model that James Madison gave us before the Constitution was even ratified. I encourage people to go read Federalist 46. You can just Google it and, and it'll pull up on the on a website. It's not that long. This was where Madison laid out, hey, what do we do if the federal government oversteps its bounds? And Madison said, there are a number of things that, that state and local governments can do. And he said, the means of opposition are powerful and at hand. And he listed some things that, that could be done. And he mentioned you know, uh, the protest of the governors and, and some other things. But the most significant thing was a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. And he used those exact words. So this isn't some kind of you know crazy right-wing conspiracy thing. This is James Madison, the father of the Constitution, who basically said when the federal government commits an unwarranted act or even a warranted act that happens to be unpopular. I mean, he didn't even limit this strategy to unconstitutional acts. He said, 
states can refuse to cooperate. And we have this anti-commandeering doctrine that I mentioned earlier, where the courts have upheld this fact that, that the uh, federal government can't force states to enforce federal law or implement federal programs. Together, we have a very powerful tool to face down this overreaching federal government if states will just be willing to do it. And like I said, we're starting to see some movement. There's a, uh, a pretty cool bill that just passed the state house in South Dakota last week uh, that will create a process to review federal executive orders and then uh, refuse to enforce those that are determined to be uh, in violation of, of the Constitution that weren't you know, uh, backed up by some type of congressional action or whatnot. So you know, we're starting to see this moving forward. I hope the momentum continues to build. That sounds like hope to me. I mean, yeah. that sounds good. So like if Arizona did uh, say they weren't going to follow the federal laws for guns, are, wouldn't the feds still try to really hurt us? I mean, I mean, they could bring all their 1400 agents into Arizona. <laughs> well, right? like, they could do that. I, I doubt that they would. Uh, again, we have we, we know how this plays out. Um, and, and make no mistake, there, this is not without risk. Nothing is without risk. When you're facing the most powerful government in the history of the world, mm -hmm. of course, there's going, to be, there's going to be risk. There's going to be difficulties. But we can go back to 1996 when the state of California legalized medical marijuana. That was the only state. It would, they were going it alone, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the feds did. They cracked down. They, they shut down dispensaries, and, and they really tried hard to stop it, but they couldn't because the momentum was just too great. And at, that, at some point, you know, this is the bottom line. You can't depend on government to protect your rights. Ultimately, mm -hmm. it's going to be up to you to do it. Yeah. Uh, so you have to be willing to say, you know what? I don't care what the federal government says. Uh, I'm going to have this firearm. I'm going to use marijuana. And that's what people in California did. So today we're at the point where 36 states have legalized marijuana in some way. The federal government's still running around saying, oh, no, we have complete prohibition. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> you, you do on in theory, but you don't in effect. And uh, so I think that um, you know the same thing would happen in a state. Uh, again, the state can't enforce federal gun control, or the, if the state refuses to uh, enforce federal gun control, sure, I'm sure the feds would try to crack down. But if one state does it, I guarantee you other states are going to follow suit, just like we saw with marijuana. And uh, there is a bill in the uh, Arizona legislature right now that would uh, end enforcement of some federal gun control. It's a great step forward. Uh, there are also bills that are moving forward in, in many other states, uh, Missouri in particular. So I don't think that you would end up in a scenario where you're going alone uh, necessarily. But again, at some point, we have to step up and be willing to take those risks. And, and that's always my challenge to, you know, I, I tell gun people, I kind of tease them a little bit. I say, you guys need to have the guts of the people that are out there smoking weed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and that's one of those things that ends up uh, coming at cross ways with each other. Right. So we are being tasked now as, as individual citizens that we can either have a, a homeopathic natural healing agent, right? Or we can have our second amendment rights, right? Because the government's got their fingers on both things. Mm -hmm. And so the States can say whatever they want about marijuana, right? That's the, the natural homeopathic healing agent. Right. That I'm referring to. The states can say whatever they want to, but as gun store owners, 
right? We have to abide by federal law and on the federal paperwork when we are selling a gun, people have to answer the question if they're a user of a restricted um, marijuana is one of the th words, right? And so what other drug, like you think about big pharma, they have all kind of mind altering, they have mm -hmm. all kinds of crazy drugs out there that people get horribly addicted to. Nowhere is there that prohibition, right? Oh, if you are taking, you know, this uh, muscle relaxer, if you're taking this uh, right. or whatever, it's illegal, you, you... It's illegal. <clears throat> addicted or illegal, right? right. And, and so that, since those are legal, right? Cause the government's getting a whole bunch of money off of them or whatnot. I, I mean, I'll leave it up to you to decide why they're legal and, and this <laughs> right. other one isn't. But um, you know, you can drink as much as you want. You can take as many of those kinds of mm -hmm. drugs as you want and you don't lose your second amendment rights. But the minute you have this, this plant that grows in, you know out in the field somewhere. A weed. Uh, a weed, yes. <laughs> Uh, suddenly now everybody's all like verklempt and, and clutching their pearls about, Yeah, you know. it's, it's funny that I always joke about, well, joke in a morbid way, I guess, or in a cynical way that, you know, you've got these drug warriors in state legislatures that are vehemently opposing, you know, the legalization of marijuana for even medical use. And then they run off after they vote to their cocktail party and get yes. hammered, you know, <laughs> right. and you're right. There is no difference, but you know, there's, again, there are things that, that states can do to shield their citizens. And there's a bill that's moving uh, in, in Missouri again. Missouri uh, is, is really doing some uh, creative thinking in terms of uh, protecting the right to keep and bear arms of its citizens. And, and hopefully some of this stuff is going to get through the legislature. Uh, there seems to be momentum for it. Uh, one of the things in, in that state is to prohibit uh, any sharing or disclosure of the state's medical marijuana rules. So in other words, the feds wouldn't have any access to know whether you're uh, Amer you know, on the, on the roll, so to speak. It would very, very much shield that information in a, in a veil of privacy. And, and then as a gun owner, you, know, you go to the gun store. If, if you ask me, are you using uh, any of these restricted, uh, my answer is no. But if you, you know. sign, yeah, but if you sign that 4473 and, and you say no to the marijuana thing and you have a medical marijuana card, you're probably going to be charged with a felony. You could be, but that's that's the beauty of the, what they're working towards yes. in, in Missouri is that there's no way the federal government wouldn't be able to have access to who has a medical marijuana card and who doesn't right. because that, right. that uh, information would be shielded from being shared. People will, you know, get ready to, you know, open their their wallet or whatever to show their their ID to buy the gun, and then boom, there's that card right there, and now our hands are tied. Right, you know, right. now we have to police, you know, this citizen and and help the government, the federal government, infringe on their Second Amendment rights, and yeah. it's it's really a, a bad mm -hmm. system. The marijuana needs to just be taken off the schedule that it's on. Well, I think it will be soon, to be yeah. honest with you, because I think the yeah. momentum has moved, not because the federal government is suddenly going to become generous and benevolent and decide, you know, that, that they're going to do something nice, but because they've lost the ability to control that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's a, you know, there, there was a really neat bill that um, ran through state legislatures starting in, um, in the mid 20 teens uh, called right to try. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was actually uh, spearheaded by the Goldwater Institute right there out of Arizona. And this bill created a process within the state for people to use drugs that had not been given final approval by the FDA if they 
were um, terminally ill. And, you know, the, the, the Fed, the FDA has a process for this, but it was unwieldy and didn't work. And, and so states began creating this process. And uh, it actually worked. There's a great example in Texas where uh, there was a clinical trial going on and this doctor had, uh, was showing great success, was actually treating the cancer that uh, Steve Jobs had over, over at Apple. And uh, the clinical trial ended and the FDA said, uh, you can't give these people this drug anymore. So basically, you know, these people are having positive response to this medication and they're being told by the federal government, you can't have it anymore. I'm sorry, you're just going to have to go ahead and die. And Texas fortunately had passed this right to try bill. So the uh, doctor continued uh, offering that medication through that state right to try. And uh, I think it was something like 76 or 77 patients were able to continue on this medication. Uh, long story short, uh, eventually it got to the point where there were 46 states that had passed right to try. And, uh, and then in 2018, uh, Donald, Donald Trump signed a federal right to try law, but by then it didn't matter. So this is the, this is kind of the strategy that we look at at the Tenth Amendment Center. Instead of worrying about who's the president or trying to call Congress, where you have almost no uh, clout whatsoever unless you're a big money lobbyist, uh, work at the state and local level and take it from a bottom up approach. And it absolutely works uh, when enough states, when the momentum grows enough, you know, Washington, D.C. is full of political creatures. They can read the writing on the wall. And uh, so this is a, a kind of an alternative way of looking at doing activism as opposed to our, our standard thing, which is, you know, pour a bunch of money into a presidential election and and uh, petition Congress and worry about what's going on at Washington, D.C. I think we could have far more influence and power if we put more of that effort on our state legislatures. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, <clears throat> Campaign for Liberty actually cre created this program where they were sending out students uh, to districts where they felt like they could get victories for liberty-minded uh, representatives, and they got a bunch of them elected. And uh, we're seeing that fruit play out. The bill that I mentioned in South Dakota was actually sponsored by one of those uh, representatives that was helped out by Campaign for Liberty. And he's in the state house uh, as, as a freshman legislator pushing not only that bill, uh, but, but several other. He, he's also pushing a red flag uh, law or an anti-red flag law, I guess it would prohibit the state from enforcing a federal uh, anti- or why do I keep saying anti? A federal red flag <laughs> law. Yes. Uh, so, so you've got one guy in the state legislature. You know how much easier is it is to pour resources into a district where you're dealing with you know five, six thousand people as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to swing a congressional district where you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. So it's a it's a great strategy, I think, and I wish pe more people would kind of focus in on that and and work at this bottom up kind of approach. I love that. I love that. So. I've titled uh, today's show Nulled to Sleep as a little play on words because I, like I thank you. I think that uh, too many of us American citizens who mean well and we're just hardworking and we're just, you know, going about our lives, we, we've been sort of lulled to sleep thinking mm -hmm. that, oh, well, somebody's got this, somebody's going to take care of it. Oh, and by the way, we have this thing called a constitution. So therefore, everything's always going to be okay. Right. And uh, that is not the case. And so now uh, that we're seeing such a need for the work that you're doing there, uh, we're hearing the word nullification, like 
So if something's null and void, right? Like a lot of us don't even understand what does this word nullification mean? How does it impact our laws? How does it impact me as a person? And I just thought maybe if you could unpack that a little bit for us to help us better get the meat of it. Yeah, that's a really good question because whenever you throw that word out, first off, what does it mean, right? Uh, What does it mean in a political context? And then, of course, it has a lot of baggage attached to it because there are a lot of people, particularly on the left, who will say, oh, that's about slavery, which it's not, but that's what they're going to say. So, yes, it's very important to understand what we're talking about here. And we actually kind of make a, a, a distinction between two different types of nullification. And it's really based on the meaning of the word. There is a legal meaning to nullification. Uh, You can literally strike a law down and it becomes null and void. It is essentially erased from the books. This is something that happens through a legal process. So for instance, if, if a court strikes down a law, it has nullified that law. It has wiped it off the books. It's a legal action. It's legally binding. But there's also a kind of a more common or popular definition of nullification. And that's simply to make something ineffective, null, void, in effect. So the law can remain on the books, but it's no longer enforceable. So we call this nullification in effect. And that's really the kind of strategy that we're pushing at the 10th Amendment Center. We're not trying to get courts to wipe laws off the books because that's not very effective because you've got this long history of Supreme Court precedent working against you, but you can make something null and void in effect. And this is the strategy of refusing to cooperate with officers of the union. Again, the federal government needs state and local governments to do its bidding. If they stop doing its bidding, it becomes impossible for them to enforce the law. So federal marijuana prohibition, it is still on the books, still exists, but it is null and void in effect in 36 states, at least to some degree. Um, another example that I like to use is uh, the speed limit. I mean, we nullify the speed limit every day, right? Uh, you know, I, I live uh, near Jacksonville, Florida. And when I drive through downtown Jacksonville, the little sign tells me I'm supposed to go 55. But if I go 55, I'm going to get run over from behind. Ain't yes. nobody going 55. Uh, <laughs> that law has been nullified in effect. Now, again, there's always risk, as we talked about earlier. The police can pick one, one or two people off out of the crowd. Yes. But it is impossible for the government to make everybody drive 55 miles an hour. It would require, uh, you know, an enforcement mechanism that would be so unwieldy and expensive that they could just never do it. So that's kind of the distinction. So when we talk about nullification at the 10th Amendment Center, we're talking about any act or set of acts at the state or local level, or even an individual level that serves to make a federal law null, void, of no effect uh, in practice. So that's really what we're talking about. Now, there is a a, um, constitutional philosophy behind this. We're not just pulling this out of the air. Uh, There was a a very important set of resolutions that were passed by Kentucky and Virginia in 1798, known as the Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions, clever names. Uh, And again, this is something that, that folks can go Google, highly encourage you to do it. Kentucky and Virginia Resolutions of 1798. Thomas Jefferson actually penned the draft of the Kentucky resolutions. James Madison pinned the draft of the Virginia resolutions. They were in response to the Alien and Sedition Acts, which were uh, clearly unconstitutional violations, particularly of uh, freedom of speech. 
And in these documents, they lay out this philosophy of government that I think really encapsulates what was intended in our in our system, where the federal government was created by the states. It's an agent of the state. And ultimately, the states have the power in the last resort to determine what those powers of the federal government actually are. If you read these documents, if you've never read them before, you will be blown away. This is literally, it literally changed my complete political worldview when I first read these documents. And I'm like, how is it that I am a relatively well-educated person that took college level history courses that have never heard of this? <laughs> uh, so this lays the foundation from a constitutional standpoint. And then we have the strategy that Madison gave us in Federalist 46 to kind of put this idea into play within the system as it exists. So uh, you can learn a lot more about this. If you go to 10thamendmentcenter.com, on our front page, we have essential reading and you'll find uh, a report that we have. You can download it for free. Uh, it's, it's our um, state of the nullification movement report. And it actually is a PDF and it goes through and it explains the philosophy behind it, the practice behind it. And then we go through all of these various policy issues and talk specifically how we can use the strategy within those policy areas, things like firearms, surveillance, uh, the drug war, FDA, um, and, and many other uh, issues that you'll find. So if you want to learn more, you can go right there to the 10th Amendment Center and download that report and, and get a much better idea. It's about 55, 60 pages, and, and it'll give you the, the quick and dirty overview. I absolutely love that. And and I, I want to change one word you said. You said, if you want to learn more, right? <laughs> I am giving a homework assignment to every single person that can hear our voice or see this video spend the time 55 pages i mean that's about the length of this uh little booklet i'm holding right here our our founding fathers uh managed to give us our entire roadmap our right. entire recipe book for a nation in that many pages uh and it, it it is too important not to learn and i agree with you michael that you know i i am i just voracious uh appetite for for learning and I almost everything that I read is either based in psychology, which is where my degrees are, uh. or in some kind of historical thing, because I want to know, well, how did other people maneuver through difficult times right. and seasons and whatever? And I, I've never, I've never heard this, the, the, you know, as you said, very cleverly titled Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like this huge piece of history dropped down the, this Orwellian memory hole. And yeah. uh, obviously, I think it's on purpose because, uh, you know, we have a system now where the federal government controls everything, including our education system. And the federal government doesn't want you to know that there's something you can do uh, to hold it into account. It's, it's almost taken on this life of its own. You know, it's like this, uh, it's like this creature that has its own personality and its own life. And um, I've said before, you know, you, you can you can elect a new president, you can elect new people to Congress, but it's like the trajectory continues going exactly the same. And it's it's like you've got this broken down car and it's up on blocks, you know, and and you're trying to fix it by changing out the driver. Well, the problem is not the driver. I mean, obviously, the drivers are, are a part of the problem, but the problem is the car is broken. So we've got to do something at some other level to fix this car. Uh, to put the wheels back on it, so to speak. And uh, again, this is what the state and local governments were intended to do. They were meant to be the check on the federal government. 
And, um, you know, really since the, the Civil War uh, is when this kind of started to fall apart. And we've, we've adopted this notion that we're this one hybrid nation. And I would, uh, I would advance that that's not a good, efficient system of government for a country this large. In fact, Jeff Jefferson said that. Thomas Jefferson said that way back in the 1800s. He said the country's too large to be governed by one set of people far in a faraway land. And he he predicted that you'd end up with all kinds of corruption and and overreach. Well, you know, here we are. What? Today. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, these people weren't dumb. They did all of this for a reason. And <clears throat> you know, you look at the predictions that that they made. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at somebody like Patrick Henry, uh, you know, it's almost like the guy was a prophet uh, when, you, when you recognize, because they understood, you mentioned the psychology, they understood the psychology of power, that power mm -hmm. corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, power tends to expand, and we have to, to, to hold it in check. I think you made an interesting point that people are often, you know, kind of have this mentality, well, the Constitution's out there and it's going to protect us. Uh, Madison talked about parchment barriers. Parchment barriers are no barrier at all. You can't just write words down on a piece of paper and wave them around and, mm -hmm. and expect uh, people in power to say, oh, well, you showed me the Constitution. Well, yeah, thank you. No, that <laughs> yeah. does, it doesn't work that way. You have to physically block them from doing the things that they want to do. And um, that's the beauty of a decentralized system. You end up with uh, local governments kind of you know, clashing with state governments and the state governments clashing with the federal governments. And you have this, this uh, healthy um, competition and healthy, you know, checks on power. And when you start taking those checks down and centralize everything, you end up with, with very rigid government systems that are, uh, they're rigid, but they're fragile. And, and by fragile, it means it's very easy to break them and create horrible problems because there's no redundancy. There's no escape valves. You know, if, if things get really, really bad here in Florida, I can always go to uh, to Arizona. Uh, in fact, I escaped Kentucky primarily <laughs> so that I could get away from the uh, the onerous taxes yeah. uh, and, and be in a place that was more friendly to my pocketbook. Uh, yeah. So we have that option in a decentralized federal system uh, where we can move. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's an important part of the system. We're, we're gradually eroding that away because we're making everything a national issue. And mm -hmm. uh, when you have that case, if, if you, the bad guys get in control, you got no place to go. Boy, that's a you know, I, I went to school in the 60s and 70s, and um, we, we knew about the Constitution. They didn't really teach us hard about the Constitution. They just gave us a, a little format of it. Right. But I was thinking, if every Arizona citizen listened to the program today and knew that the state has the power to overthrow, you know, to, to bypass the federal government, what this state would be like and mm -hmm. not only that all the people that are making laws in arizona they don't know this either no they don't <laughs> they don't no i, I really I've, don't I've, I've had these conversations in fact i've had the opportunity this uh this legislative session to testify before a couple of uh of committees in state legislatures and it is i'm i feel like i'm teaching you know uh something that should have been taught in eighth grade in yeah. terms of basic civics. And I'm having to teach lawyers about the anti-commandeering doctrine. It is based on five Supreme Court uh, cases that they should have known if they went to law school. Uh, but, you know, they don't teach that either. And it's ironic. I, I've actually been told by folks that have gone to law school and taken the bar exam that um, when they're prepping for 
the bar exam test. They're actually told if you have a multiple choice question and one of the answers is the 10th amendment, then you can automatically discount that answer. You can just push that answer aside. It's not ever going to be the 10th amendment. And this is what, what? Yeah, Thomas, and Thomas Jefferson called the 10th amendment, the cornerstone, the foundation of the constitution. Yes. But today in law school, they're taught that that's never the right answer. So this, this shows you how bad things have gotten in terms of, of education and understanding. So that's one of the things that we're doing at the 10th Amendment Center is just trying to educate people, you know, the yeah. basic. And, and you'll find articles, uh, especially as we get into the summertime and, and in the fall when there's less going on in state legislatures, you'll see a lot of articles that we'll post getting into original meaning and uh, original application of the various clauses, the Commerce Clause, necessary and proper. What did they really mean? What was the scope of that power? It's been vastly uh, expanded from what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's important. We need to know what, we need to know that. We need to know what the law of the land is before we can insist that these people follow it. Well, that is so true. I, I wonder if I'm, if I'm summing this up well. So tell me if I am or not. There's this phrase you use that it could sound a little complicated to people, the nullified in effect. And mm -hmm. I wonder if we could just, you know, think of it in terms of, I will not comply. That's, that's perfect. You know, I've actually used the example. Uh, I've, I've written a short ebook that if you go to my personal website, which is michaelmeharry.com, uh, if you go there for the first time, it'll actually pop up on the front page. You can download it's free ebook. All you got to do is give me your email. And, and I promise I won't bombard you with a bunch of spam. Uh, but the, it's called The Power of No. And it, it's kind of a short uh, philosophical constitutional case for this idea of nullification. And I took that power of no uh, from the, uh, the, the idea behind what Rosa Parks did when she refused to give up her seat on the bus. Um, you know, I, I think that's a beautiful example of the power of an individual. Uh, and, and it also, incidentally, shows you the risk that, that some people have been willing to take to secure freedom. You know, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. Um, she didn't tear up the bus. She right. didn't shoot the cop. Right. She willingly faced the consequence, which happened to be she went to jail and ended up mm -hmm. paying a fine. Uh, but her actions sparked what ultimately was the end of Jim Crow. And you see that power of, I will not comply. And we can say that on an individual level, and we can find ways, uh, you know, depending on your risk tolerance, uh, mm -hmm. to, to kind of undermine just on a personal level. Um, and then we can also do this using uh, government power, using other, you know, other uh, government entities such as localities, such as states, uh, to, to kind of help this as a tool. But yeah, that's ultimately, you summed it up perfectly. We will not comply. A refusal to cooperate with officers of the union, as Madison put it. And to some people, it's going to seem, oh, that's kind of, oh, it makes me uncomfortable because I'm, you know, we're taught that we should follow the law. Here's the thing. This is not lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Lawlessness is what you're getting from the federal government right now. That's the lawlessness. All we're doing is saying, hey, look, we're going to take action to make you comply with what is actually the law of the land. We're the ones that are actually acting within, within the, the law, uh, not these clown politicians who are disregarding their constitutional oaths. So you shouldn't feel guilty about this or that you're doing something dirty or wrong. You're doing exactly what 
the system requires in order for there to be um, any kind of stability in government. Because again, parchment barriers, you know, aren't going to help. There has to be some force and action behind them. Well, Rosa Parks did that without any violence, from what I understand, that she didn't resi resist arrest or anything else. But nope. then you have an example like Ruby Ridge, where these guys, from what we know, because that's the other thing, the media will make you a, a bad person, even yes, if, you know, oh, he had hordes of ammo, he had hordes of guns. And, yeah, he had like 500 you know, rounds of ammo. So the Ruby, <laughs> Ruby Ridge, they said no. And, and look what happened to them with yeah. that. But there's a difference between violently. I mean, if he'd have just surrendered, and and fought it in court, maybe he would have probably had a more memory of that, like Rosa Parks. She perhaps she, yeah. she didn't fight her way out of it. Perhaps yeah. And I I love your the title of your book because there is that as some other uh, you know theory about the power of yes. And so you're like, how about the power of, of, no. of no? And as a parent, I I was fond of saying you know it's a complete sentence no. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, why the answer is just no. When I used to do, I, I back before Donald Trump, I did quite a bit of speaking because people were really interested in nullification uh, with the Tea Party movement. And that was one of the things I would talk about. You know, nullification is, is so simple. Your three-year-old can do it. <laughs> your three-year-old does do it all the does time. Does do yeah. it, yes. <laughs> I want to re read a quote real quick that mm -hmm. I, I think really kind of sums up just the, the mindset that has driven me. Uh, over the last decade or so of, of activism. Um, it's actually by Frederick Douglass, and most folks will be familiar with Frederick Douglass. He was a, uh, was a slave that was ultimately freed and was quite influential. And he said, find out, <clears throat> find out just what people will submit to. And you have found the exact amount of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. And these will continue until they are resisted with either words or blows or with both. This is the, the, the clincher right here. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. That's it. And, uh, you know, I read that. And, and for, for me, uh, you know, the kind of turning point was about 11, 12 years ago when I thought I, I finally decided that my I've reached my limit of what I'm willing to uh, willing to tolerate. And that's why I got into this work. And, you know, I'm certainly not getting rich. Um, and it takes a lot of hours and I put up with a lot of grief, but I think it's important because I have kids. I want my mm -hmm. kids to live in a, in a country that is free, that mm -hmm. is uh, carrying forth the, the values of liberty and, and personal autonomy that uh, this country was founded on. And mm -hmm. if I don't stand up and do it, who's going to do it? You know, so that's um, it. Uh, that's right there. That's my challenge to everybody listening. Figure out what you can do. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody's not going to take this on as, as their lifestyle and living, but you can spend 10 minutes one day and, and call your state legislator and tell them to support a bill or, yeah. uh, you know, write an email to your uh, state senator or, um, you know, get involved in a, a state legislator's campaign that, that mm -hmm. you feel like is going to help protect uh, the, the, the powers of your state. You can do those things. Uh, and, and I encourage people to get involved where they can. That is phenomenal. All right. Well, thank you so much. Michael Meharry, you have spent so much time with us today. I, I'm dying to actually go and read these things that we've been talking about. Um, and so I'm not going to keep you any longer, but please tell folks how they can follow what you're doing, learn from the work that you've been doing. 
uh, probably maybe financially support the work that you're doing. So go ahead. I'm going to give you two places to go. The first, tenthamendmentcenter.com, and you spell out tenth, so T-E-N-T-H, amendmentcenter.com. And uh, go there every day. Check out our blog, especially this time of year. We're constantly posting what we call bill reports. And you can go through and you can see um, you know, that yesterday the uh, state of Alabama passed a bill to uh, limit enforcement of federal gun control or, or whatever it is that's going on. And you can find those things. You can actually search in there and search for your state, find out what's going on in your state. And again, take, the, take a little bit of time and contact your state reps and senators and, and ask them to support these bills. You'll find all kinds of resources on that page. You'll also find there where you can support us. Uh, we have a membership program. You can be a member of the Tenth Amendment Center for as little as two bucks a month, oh, wow. and uh, you know those little two bucks a month for us add up and mm -hmm. uh, help pay the bills and, and keep the website online and whatnot. So that's the first place I'd ask you to visit. Uh, and the first thing to do if you're not familiar with any, you know, if all this is kind of new to you, again, you can download that free State of the Nullification Movement report, and that'll give you the overview of of what we're doing. And then I also have my own website, michaelmaharry.com. It's just my name, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y.com. And uh, over there, you'll find, I, I post articles over there. You'll, there's a section called Constitution 101. It has articles about some of the various clauses of the Constitution. There's also information there about my books. Uh, you may be able to see one over my shoulder here, uh, which is called Constitution Owner's Manual, which goes through uh, the philosophy and the, the political uh, foundations of the Constitution, and again, goes through all of these clauses and phrases and explains what they were meant, how they were understood at the time of ratification. So information about that stuff is on my website, michaelmaharry.com. And I appreciate anybody who wants to check that out. I appreciate this. I appreciate what you guys are doing. I mean, this is important, uh, just getting the information out there because there's so much noise uh, and, and so much garbage, especially in mainstream media, that people need outlets like this where they can find uh, this kind of information. So thank you for doing what you guys are doing. Well, thank you, Michael. And you can also go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, and find a link to his information. Yeah, we also we have a guest page with all the links to your, so if they've, you've forgotten everything else while you're listening... <laughs> You know you can still reach Michael Meharry of the 10th Amendment Center, uh, either through all his web pages or through ours. Michael, thank you so much. Please keep doing what you're doing. It matters. It is making a dent. And uh, we are so proud and excited to have had a, a moment of your time to help you know, our audience know you better. Well, absolutely. My pleasure. And, uh, you know, happy anytime to come on and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. Again, I think what you guys are doing is, is every bit as important as what we're doing. So teamwork. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, teamwork you. for sure. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, Michael. Bye-bye. Wow. You know what? He's amazing. Yes. Learn so much. You know, if, if I could go back in time, which I don't want to, it's too hard <laughs> no. to do over again, but if I had to go back in time, let's say somebody forced me mm -hmm. then i'd try to sneak this pocket constitution with me and i would i would be a teacher mm -hmm. and i would teach the constitution i probably wouldn't have a job because colleges wouldn't hire me mm -hmm. but i would but really you might have changed you know, things enough like butterfly effect right right but there's so much that our teachers deprived us from yeah i guess is the word because they're taking away my you know my rights by not teaching me educating me 
on our rights. Yeah. There's yes. so much of that. That is so true. Um, we do have to go. Uh, that was such a exciting interview for me because yeah. I love learning things. I love, uh, you know, discovering new ways that I can, you know, not only teach myself, but then also teach others. So we all have, and I'm saying we, I'm including me in that. We have some homework to do. The Constitution, that takes about an hour to read, right? Michael's ebook, The Power of No, that's probably going to take, you know, maybe about an hour to read. This uh, Kentucky and Virginia resolutions of 1798, I don't know, maybe that's another whole hour. Well, you know, you watch, you binge watch your shows for how many hours? I think we can fit this in. I'm excited to, to hear back from everybody that has learned something new, not only on this show, but on any of our shows, because these subject matter experts that take their time and come on and teach us from their perspective and their particular area of expertise, holy cow, that's, that's precious. That cost you a ton of money in college. You know? right. <laughs> so um, anyway, you know, please let us know either on our Facebook page, Gun Freedom Radio Facebook page, or talk at gunfreedomradio.com is our email address. Let us know what, what you learned, what was new, what was inspiring for you, how you're using these ideas in your community. Um, this is great stuff. Uh, but I think for now, we probably need to probably need to blast out of here, don't we? No. No? <laughs> I like what you did there. You know, I'm a, you can buy my t-shirt. You will comply with me trying to yes. wrap this show up. You can buy my t-shirt. It says no. It just says I'm front and back. That's all it says. No. <laughs> That's great. I love that. All right. Well, this you can't say no to. What are we supposed to do? Right We're supposed now? to pray That's for right. our nation. That's right. And pray for our leaders, even the ones you don't like, especially the ones that you don't <laughs> like. It's almost like he's done this before. That, that was well, well played. Mr. I've Tom. learned a lot since we first started doing the show. Me too. I've learned a lot, a lot, a lot. And one of those things that I've learned mm -hmm. is that we do need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for all of the politicians that are supposed to be guiding yeah. or following our representing representing they're only yes. supposed to represent their... but they're called leaders for some reason and okay <laughs> so we're going to pray for all of them yes and we're also going to hope that everyone out there has an amazing week and we hope that you will be good to each other and of course we pray blessings over you as well Bye-bye.